What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at elisecortez.com or gusto-now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more at WorkProud.com. With us today is Tim Jones, a.k.a. the good the, the Grow Good Guy, who specializes in working with individuals and organizations to help them tap into their purpose-fueled performance, assisting them in the transition to becoming a force for good. His purpose-focused consulting, coaching, and training programs are specifically designed for those that want to use their skills to achieve meaningful goals in life and work. We'll be talking about his path to purpose, learn some benefits of personal and company purpose, and then learn more about the B Corp certification process he helps steward with companies. He joins today from New Zealand, where it is the next day, 10 a.m., so it's Wednesday, 10 a.m., where it's Tuesday, 5 p.m. for me in Dallas. I love it. I never get tired of this idea of the time chain, that the way that the world is connected. Tim, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, and the weather's great tomorrow. <laughs> right, exactly, right? This is so great. You know, it should be like that, as Dr. Seuss says. It should be like that. It should be just fun and connected. <laughs> I reckon. And I'm so happy to have you. And as we were talking about before we got on air together, I'm just so interested in catching your story, uh, your path to purpose. As we were saying, it's, I suspect there is a difference between how women go about it and how men go about it. So let's dive into yours. Sure. Um, so today you're the grow good guy. That wasn't mm -hmm. always the case, right? Um, your, your journey is fascinating. And I, I want to talk about that. And it's just the, even the idea of starting out in life, going to a good school, you said in the UK, all boys, Ivy League, you're on a good track. And then what happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the moment came for me, um, I was standing in an operating theatre or OR operating room, <clears throat> as, uh, as you guys on the other side of the, the ditch or pond, let's call it. And um <laughs> The surgeon who I was working with, so my, my job was to go into operating theatres, support the surgeons to make sure that they got the best outcome or the patients got the best outcome by, you know, using the equipment that my company had supplied. So the actual implant, the bit that goes inside the human. And the surgeon was being sort of particularly obnoxious that day. And I just thought, you know what, I've, I've, I'm done with this. And that was on the back of a lot of other things that I come to, that have sort of come to light for me over the last couple of years, seeing some of the... Um, I guess the corruption, the the lack of ethics in the wider medical device world. There's a really great movie, The Bleeding Edge, which summarizes pretty much this whole industry and where I got to, um, which you can watch on Netflix. And and really, I got I asked myself, why, why am I here? Like, what am I doing this for? 
And when I started going down that journey of asking where, why, who, what, how, it, it all it led me back to go, well, why, why did I end up here? Well, it started way, way back. And, and it started with the, the type of school that I went to. I went to public school or private school. It always gets very confusing. Different countries call it different things. But basically, my parents paid money for me to go to, a, to the school and you wore a blazer and a tie from the age of four. So you get some kind of impression of, of the school system. Um, and their their whole thing wasn't wasn't looking out for what was best for the kid. It was about how many of our kids get to go to Oxford or Cambridge or Harvard or whatever. And that for me was a really interesting thing to reflect on. Was I'd been set on this path that wasn't my choosing. It was the path that my parents thought were doing the right thing for me and it kind of makes set intuitive sense it's like if we can afford to send our kid to a school that's going to give them potentially the best outcome and the best chance of getting into a really good university and getting a really good career why wouldn't you do that um but this is what i call the authenticity gap it's like it, it created a version of me that wasn't the true version of me and it led me down a path of the, one of the phrases i love to use is what it, what should someone like you be doing you know, you are of a certain age, a certain demographic, you live in a certain suburb. What is it that you're supposed to be doing? And, and that really was the life that I'd ended up in was I was working as a medical device sales rep. It's it's a well-paid job. It's respectful. You're hanging out with orthopedic and neurosurgeons. You're learning quite a lot of complex medical information and, and, and working with these surgical teams. And you get to travel the world and go to amazing conferences. Like I was, I'd, I'd was doing pretty good for someone coming out of the school system that I'd been through. Probably not as good as some others. I mean, a lot of other kids from my school, you know, they, they do go to Oxford and Cambridge, a large number of them go there and become high-performing diplomats and scientists. And, and so in terms of the school, I'm probably a bit of a failure, but in terms of society, it's like, wow, this guy is doing really, really well. But I wasn't, I was having to be a different version of me. I, was, I mean, if anyone knows orthopedic and or particularly orthopedic surgeons, there's the, the running joke in, in the hospital community is what's the difference between God and an orthopedic surgeon. God doesn't think he's an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, so that's, those are the kind of, you know, the alpha males, typically you know, there were no female surgeons. That I was dealing with it. There was a couple of female orthopedic surgeons, typically alpha males who want the best. They want everything. They want it yesterday. And, that combined with just yeah the, the 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 some dodgy ethics and moral decisions that were being made by surgeons and the companies that I represented, I'm like, I'm not this person. So what? But, but I am because I'm here. So what's going on here? How did I get here? Well, and let's add in one other really really important detail here that I think had to contribute to the eye-opening element of that, and that was no no less than eight patients had died on the operating table. Yeah. So one company that I was working for, uh, Synthes or Synthes, depending if you're on the Swiss or the American side of the company, um, they launched a product uh, called Norian. And, and this is all, uh, I think I, I've referenced it in a couple of um, posts. I, th I think it's in, uh, it might be the Philadelphia Inquirer or something along those lines, but it's it's in the paper. Um, they, they've been you know held accountable for it, but they launched a product um, to market, I guess, knowingly too soon. Uh, when they knew that there were risks of, of there being negative outcomes for the patients. And the only reason they did that was because in the medical device world, whoever is kind of first to market with the product wins market share, which means the shareholders are happy. And that really was the whole, and to this day, really, it is the ethos in, in the medical device world is, you know, let's, let's capitalize on the market uh, opportunities that we've got for the shareholders rather than actually let's take a step back and is this product going to be significantly better and provide better outcomes for patients at scale and even to the point where 
most of the and this is like i say physical medical devices so nuts and bolts screws and, and things like that like like proper metal and plastic implants what most companies will do is they'll, is they'll create a um let's say we'll pick up this we'll, we'll say this pen is a medical device implant they'll patent that but they'll also patent that and they'll patent that with the the top on the other end and they'll they'll ring fence the patent around one new product so that no other competitors can come up with anything vaguely close to it instead of kind of going well why don't we all get in a room put all our smart people in the room and go how do we radically alter the 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 positive outcomes for patients today it's all about let's ring fence ip let's be first to markets we capture market share so that the shareholders win and if we lose a few patients on the way well well it's kind of collateral damage you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs that's kind of the mentality of the whole and for me it's like well if this is the one industry in the world that should this should be the most purpose-driven industry it's it's all about helping other humans get better and survive and actually it was all about making money and that was the real like moment for me mm-hmm. it's like what, what what hope is there in the finance world or you know <laughs> investment world or any other world when the, the people who should just care about fixing people actually just care about maximizing financial return oh this is amazing really quick so i have to at this point interject matthew syed who is an author who wrote black box things black box black box thinking several years ago i read it and what he's essentially doing in that book is he's talking about Um, he's comparing and contrasting the healthcare industry and the airline industry and what Mm. the healthcare industry can learn from the the airline industry because they do such, you know, methodical analysis into near crashes and crashes. And why would that be? Why would they, why would they actually do that? Well, you know, in the airplane, if we're going to put people at risk, the pilot also goes down and healthcare, Mm. if you're not on the table, you don't have quite as much skin in the game, right? So really, really interesting. Yeah. Mm. And by the way, um, listeners and viewers, um, Matthew said it was probably coming on the show here in the next few weeks. So I can't wait to share his next book, which is on rebel thinking, but um, he's on my mind and that's a perfect application what you're talking about. Mm. So, okay. So that does a whole lot to kind of, as you say, blow up your mindset, but then, you mentioned a few other really key things that happened along the way. 2011, I think it was major earthquakes in New Zealand. Is yep. that right? Came, yep. came in, tell us about that, how that sprinkled in some other thinking. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, yeah, it was kind of sort of 2007-ish to 2009, 2010. I'd started to see this stuff in the industry. And they're really good at keeping you in, they call it the golden handcuffs. Like they pay you good money. The commissions are great. Here's your car. Here's your health insurance. Here, oh, you want to go to Davos next winter, you know, over December for a two week conference with your surgeons. Yeah, sure. Take your skis, you know, fantastic. And, um, it really was the earthquake. So we had a, a series of massive earthquakes here in Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand where I live. So 2010, 2011, we had a really big one, September 2010, and then a big one, February 2011. Um, and then 2012, uh, my wife and I had our daughter. And this, this, those three significant events essentially led to me having what's called a subconscious awakening. So your subconscious controls about 95% plus of your day-to-day actions. You know, it's like the autopilot that runs your system. And I'd, I think I'd had some, there'd been some challenges to that, but they weren't deep enough to really make me wake up. But a near-death experience, the death of a loved one or the birth of a, of a child into your family are three well-categorized methods of having what's called this subconscious awakening. So literally the whole thing is just shaken up and you get to see like reality for what it really is. There's a really cool movie, um, Oh, it's gonna. I have to. It's uh, it's like a really '80s classic movie where the guy has a pair of sunglasses and he gets to see all the advertising for what it, what it really is. I, I think it, it's not. Uh, I've oh, seen that. You know yes. what I mean? Oh, we'll yeah, put it in find it, 
but it's like um it was that kind of moment it's like i suddenly put a pair of glasses on and i saw everything for what it really was like how corrupt the whole system was how pointless you know you have this real moment of like what what, what are we doing like why are we all you you don't like going to work the person you're emailing the spreadsheet to doesn't like their work neither of you care neither of your bosses care about the spreadsheet fundamentally like what why why are we all doing this and that was like the real moment when i had to start looking back and trying to work out well, what what is the meaning of life and, and why don't i have it you know i'm 35 i'm earning good money i'm married i've got a, just had a new kid and i hate my life <laughs> what's uh, all that about yeah well that's about the time period that that i called my, my early onset midlife crisis hit me i was 33 <laughs> or so so about a similar age same kind of circumstances yep. you know same yep. thing so there's something interesting about that Yep. Um, okay, well, then I know you go on and get a job as a GM at an engineering company and something happened there. Yep. <clears throat> so I, I kind of realized, you know, all, all this came to a head. And it's like, I'm out of medical. Like literally that that uh, moment I recounted when we opened this conversation, I walked out of the OR or the operating theater that day. I lived about two kilometers from the hospital. I walked home and I said to my wife, I'm done. And we'd moved from Christchurch to Auckland. So Auckland's the um, sort of the big city at the top of the North Island in, in New Zealand. And um, we'd had our daughter because we wanted to get a, get away from all the earthquakes to sort of start a family. And um, so we'd had our daughter. We wanted to move back to Christchurch. And I wanted to get out of medical. And I thought, look, I'm mid-30s. I should probably get a leadership role if I can. So I applied for about 60 different jobs. It's like, I just want to get out of medical. The medical world is such a sort of incestuous com- you know, group of companies. People just bounce around companies. You're selling to a surgeon. It's like a really weird industry. So I thought, I'm just going to go and apply for anything and everything and just see what comes out. And I ended up getting um, yeah, employed as general manager for the South Island for a firm of basically surveyors and engineers. And I just thought, well, you know, it's going to be interesting because um, the, the types of clients we dealt with were in multiple different industries. So I kind of thought, if I don't like this industry, I'm going to network and meet a whole lot of people from a whole a lot of different worlds and, and I'll, I'll kind of find something. And um, I kind of thought, you know, orthopedic surgeons were the height of, uh, you know, money and greed um, and sort of self-entitlement. And then I met commercial property developers. And in the in the rebuild of Christchurch, so Christchurch, the CBD of, of Christchurch or, or the central city of Christchurch was basically decimated. The whole thing was pulled down. And so part of the thing that attracted me to the role was like, well, if I can play a really small role in the rebuild of this city, like that's, that's going to be cool. I'm not an, I'm, I'm no good at designing the building or building it, but if I can help facilitate some stuff around that and the whole, they, they canvas the city uh, you know, in terms of the population. Like, what do you want? We're going to rebuild this city. What do you want to see? And overwhelmingly people wanted a green sustainable city that was easy to navigate. We're, we're flat. We're absolutely pancake flat city. You know, so they wanted bike infrastructure. They wanted it to be really easy to navigate child friendly, family friendly. What we got was basically cheap concrete monoliths you know stalin would be so proud if you if you wheeled him out of the grave like look oh look at this another gray concrete box oh you've done so well um you know i, I did a, i wrote a, an essay on this we post uh, quake this would have been about 2014 ish we only had four buildings in christchurch that were made out of timber frame buildings and now if you're listening here tuning in from california you know you have a lot of timber frame buildings because they're very earthquake resilient well we've just been through two massive earthquakes and what we what are we doing we're building concrete buildings which are environmentally disastrous they're cold in winter hot in summer um and they don't survive earthquakes very well so the whole industry was again it's like we just want to rebuild this city as cheaply and quickly as we can for maximum profit for the you know for the realtors for the uh for the builders and the developers and it was just like what is going on with the world like i thought i kind of thought the medical was going to be an isolated incident 
but it turned out that no it just seemed to be endemic in business because all the other people were bumping up against a lot of finance a lot of banks a lot of you know that kind of world in terms of property uh, commercial property everyone just cared about the money that's all they cared about and so that just led me to sort of like an even deeper pit of despair it's like is this all i've got for the next 40 years I've just got to sit here, literally working for the man, making sure that they and the people that they're helping make as much money as they can. And I'm going to get a little bit of that on the way through. And it was through that. Plus, there was also some real cultural challenges in the organization. There were just a lot of bad behaviors going on internally at a leadership level, which was challenging for me as a new leader. Um, and through that, I kind of just I thought, I know, I'm going, to, I'm going to try and find it. Let's take control of what I can. Let's try and fix the culture in the company. And so doing that, I just kind of Googled HR program fix, you know, toxic culture. Um, and somehow during that search, this little thing over here, try and get my camera right, B Corp turned up um, as an option. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was like, okay, so this is more than just culture. This is sort of employees. This is environment. It's community. Oh, it's like how you treat a customer. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. So I had a quick look at it. And I thought, I, I bet there isn't one in New Zealand because, you know, New Zealand's normally late to the party for a lot of this stuff. So I, I had a quick look on their listings. Like, damn it, there's two in New Zealand. So I bet there isn't one in Christchurch. Damn it, there's one in Christchurch. <laughs> and then, so I, I sat on it for a couple of weeks and thought, oh, maybe I should just email this guy. So I emailed Steve Arder, who's CEO of Eagle Protect, who are now also based in uh, California. And I was like, hey, I kind of just stumbled across this B Corp thing. Could I just come and have a chat and see what it's about? He's like, yeah, sure, come over. Um, sat down with him. We had like a 45-minute meeting booked in the calendar. Um, he showed me around his his facility and then sat down and we started talking B Corp. And I think I left about two and a half hours later with my mind just it's wow. like there was a whole you know at the time there was maybe a thousand or two thousand b corporations globally um and it's like there's a global movement of businesses who realize that the way we've been running the show is not great and there is a better way to do it it's like i found my tribe and that really i guess on my kind of archetypal journey i've, I've, I've gone into the shadow i've gone into the depths of despair and now it's like oh here we go there's there's light at the end of the tunnel and so that's really where my kind of passion and, and commitment around the b corp um, started and then since then it's just yeah not not look back oh that's it's splendid and divine and we're gonna learn more about b corps a little bit later in the show but let's grab our first break now i'm elise cortez your host we are on the air with tim jones aka the grow good guy who specializes in working with individuals and organizations to help them tap into their purpose fueled performance assisting them in the transition to becoming a force for good we've been talking a bit about his path to purpose after the break we're going to hear about some gifts of purpose stay with us we'll be right back Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. 
As we've been watching the pandemic continue to unfold, we look for ways to help companies support their employees handle the anxiety, stress, depression, and feeling disconnected while also helping to lift and inspire them with ongoing professional development. So we now offer a well-being webinar series called Grab Your Gusto, Vital Wellbeing from the Inside Out. You can learn more about it by emailing me at elisecortez.com or going to the website elisecortez.com check me out there. If you're just joining the program, my guest today is Tim Jones, a.k.a. The, the Grow Good Guy, who specializes in working with individuals and organizations to help them tap into their purpose-fueled performance, assisting them to the transition to becoming a force for good. And is calling in from Church Christ, New Zealand. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So we got to hear about your, your path to purpose, which was fascinating. I never tire of hearing those stories, as you can well imagine. <laughs> Now I want to get into, and this is so important, listeners and viewers, when you really get access to your purpose and you can articulate it as a statement, which is a way to really socialize yourself to the world, it's incredibly powerful. I love yours, Tim. Can you share your purpose statement with us? Totally. So I guess it's um, to co-create a world where we can all thrive in a manner that's regenerative to this planet. And it's that's all really for me. It's about, and this was like having my daughter or our daughter coming to the world was the thing. It's like, what is, what is the world I'm leaving for her? Like, is it is it a world that she's going to thrive in, that the planet's doing well? And back in 2012, and even maybe now in 2021, you kind of like. Mm, not so convinced <laughs> exactly and so crisp tim what you've created is so crisp and it's important it's so important because it's there's there's power in declaration there's power in language and so listeners and viewers that's a great example of, of a purpose statement so just love it never tire of it okay so now i want to get into a few more of the actual gifts of purpose because you in your talks and in your ebooks do a brilliant job of talking about this and teaching about it tim i learned a lot from you so thank you for that thank you yeah you're welcome um, so one of the things that I thought was really interesting that I don't think I've ever heard anybody say before is you say that we have a biological need for purpose and contribution and are handsomely rewarded when exercising it and get a return of a perfect trifecta, oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin. The part that I've never heard before is that purpose is a biological need. That's fascinating. Say more about that. So I actually got that. Have you had Zach Mercurio's or Zach yes, Mercurio? Exactly yeah, yeah. Zach so that, mm-hmm. That's where that's where I learned that one from. Um, okay. from from his work. Um, it just seems to be, you know, we're, we're looking for that, that, always looking for that dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin kind of hit, you know, the, the good chemicals that keep us going. And from the research um, that was done, I believe that was from Stanford, I think. I think okay. We'll have to fact check that one and put it in the in the in the notes but one of the big u.s colleges they they basically have done this research and and we need oxytocin serotonin and dopamine for us to be that those are like the positive drugs so oxytocin is all about your connection bond but you know which is why it's like the mother's drug that when, when during the birth process oxytocin is the drug that you know is kind of um, induced or, or was used to induce birth and it has massively high levels during that birthing process. And then serotonin and dopamine are kind of like your motivation and your and your reward drugs. And when you are on purpose, which is why I kind of – I refer to it as being on purpose because it kind yeah. of is like a, a yeah, drug. I um, get it. Once you get into it, it's like give me this over anything else. When you get into purpose, and for me, that the overarching definition of purpose is – contribution so when you're doing something that's meaningful for you for others bigger than you you get massive doses of those drugs and it's like well why would you not want to have those happiness drugs kind of in you as much as you can i mean obviously 
I think there, there is a risk that people kind of go, um, I, I, I'm going to be happy all the time and I'm looking for happiness. And, and I think it's, there's, there's some big conversations around the happiness versus purpose and contentment mm-hmm. being yes. different. Um, like you're not going to be happy all the time, but by being on purpose and, and living a life true to yourself and contributing and being the most authentic version of you, you're generally going to be more content than the person who's doing the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I firmly believe from through the work that I've done that that purpose is a perfect antidote to depression. Perfect. Oh. There's um, Sebastian Junger. I just um, have come across his work. He's an anthropologist and journalist, and he has spent a lot of time. I think his latest book's called Tribe, um, or one of his books is called Tribe. Um, and he has spent a lot of time as a journalist embedded with U.S. troops, trying to work out like what what is it that creates that cohesiveness, that tribal element amongst typically a group of guys doing something severely dangerous and physical in nature, and. Um, yeah, that, that need to serve and uh, be part of a community is from his research. It's, it's like, it's what we need. And as he says, it's hard to be depressed when you're helping someone else. And yeah. he, he references uh, the Blitz in the UK, in London, uh, sorry, in Britain, during, during the Second World War, where they were expecting during the Blitz for there to be a massive psychological um, challenge with mental health going through the roof. But because everyone was so focused on helping everyone else, actually mental health got better. And this is the thing, it's really hard to be depressed when you're trying to help somebody else. It's p- purpose is, for me, it's like this, which is why I call it purpose fuel performance. It's it's like this super fuel that is untapped everywhere in the world. That, well, not everywhere in the world, I guess in the modern Western democratized world, we seem to have really lost our, our connection with it. Whereas in, in, it may be in, still in indigenous tribes and, and areas where you have that sense of community and connection and you see how you can help other people really quickly um, locally. Um, yeah, I think we've really, we're missing a lot here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so from, from the logotherapeutic perspective, Tim, um, we talk about that as, as, as self-transcendence. So you literally are transcending yes. yourself. And there is, there's, there's elevation in that, and that's why it, yeah. it works so well. So another way, of, another way of looking at that. So as if we didn't need really more reasons to believe in this purpose stuff, but I, I, I want to still give you the opportunity to talk about this because you do this beautifully in your eBooks. but you talk about there are, there are seven guaranteed things that come with purpose. Can you share at least a few of them with us? Yep. Well, I'll give you the seven really quick. So I call it focus, health, hope, meaning, motivation, resilience, but more importantly, legacy. Um, I mean, this is um, there's some really good data on uh, Brandon Peel, um, who I don't know if has he been on the program. He's been on the program. Um, You bet. Love him. Cool. So Brandon has he has been like a. uh, an absolute legend in curating a lot of the, the broad evidence. And this is the thing, like there is, I'm, I'm yet to see the study or the paper that says having purpose is detrimental to your life in any way. It's like, it's a tsunami <laughs> of evidence. It's like, if you even get 10% of purpose nailed, you're going to be a better human and have a better life. That's right. Um, I think that the, the two that really um, stick out for me is the sort of the resilience one. I, so I get people to do this in my workshops. I ask them, right, everyone just start doing that with your hands. And some people actively resist it. Some people will start doing it. And I go, cool, who's bored of doing this already? And a lot of people go, yep. And I go, cool. Well, what if we just worked out that us doing this is actually pumping oxygen into the neonatal unit of the local hospital? Who, who would go a little bit longer now? And most people are like, yeah, I go a little bit longer. Cool. And that's just a really easy example of if something is, is worthy, is contributing to a really high level and has meaning for you, you're going to do it for longer. You're just going to keep 
on the task, you're not going to quit because yeah. as opposed to, hey, Elise, I need you to go and do these 20. I, I always pick on spreadsheets because I hate spreadsheets because I'm a real visual person. So, and I like picking on like accountants and people that like and engineers who like spreadsheets. But if I said, hey, Elise, I, I need you to go and um, just fill out a whole lot of spreadsheets for me and you don't like doing them and you don't know why you're doing it. It's kind of like, yeah. And I think this is when you look at the work environment, one of my most, it's fantastic in how awful it is. It was a YouGov survey from the British government. And I think it's somewhere in the mid 40% of British employees surveyed felt that their job provided them with no meaning. And in fact, they considered that their role was more than likely contributing to destroying the planet. And then Mm -hmm. we wonder why there's a mental health crisis and depression and people are self-medicating and doing all the good stuff. It's like, yeah. So purpose is like the the complete antidote. And and for me, that the place to start is, maybe not have a complete career change, but try and understand the meaning in the role that you actually do do. Cause there should be, you should be able to find some meaning there. There should be ideally some positive benefit to someone or something in what you're doing. So just connect to that and understand what, what it's good for you. But I think the, the big one for me, particularly coming from the, the medical and then the, the sort of the, the commercial business world is, is the whole thing about legacy and the lowest level, you know, if everyone was just a good husband, partner, parent, you know, dad, mum, son, daughter, we solve quite a lot of problems because quite a lot of the world's problems are, are, are on, you know, people not feeling loved or welcomed or, you know, having some shadow work that they need to get on to do. So even just on a small, on, you know, on the small level, being a good parent and raising a good child, like that's a pretty good legacy because there's a lot of people not even doing that. But a question I like to ask in a lot of my workshops is in terms of like true legacy, because most people who I'm working with on this transition to be a force for good, you know, it's, it's still it's all about the money. That's what the, the business has been focused on or the individual is focused on, you know, maximizing financial return. So the three questions I ask them is great. Who was the richest person in America in 1969? And you normally get, you know, Rockefeller, you get um you know, some people say Bill Gates still, even though he probably wasn't even vaguely born. But no one knows that the answer. But the answer that I could find was Robert Wood Johnson. He, he came up consistently more than any others. And he was one of the founding brothers of Johnson Johnson, ironically, company mm-hmm. I started working for. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So then, then I asked people, great, well, who was the richest person in the world ever when you adjust for inflation and currency and all the rest of it? Nobody knows. And the, the answer is Mansa Musa, who was the emperor of Mali in the late 12th, uh, 1200s. And then I flip it and go, cool, can anyone give me the name of a gentleman in America in 1969 who wrote in the delivered a speech about having a dream for a group of, group of people? And they all go, Martin Luther King. Well, fancy that. It's like, you don't remember what people had. You remember what people did and how they did it. Yet we're so focused in the modern world on the what did I have versus what did they have? So one of the big things I say is, as a Jones, I release you from having to keep up with us because we're, we're full of rubbish. We don't have everything. It's all a ruse. We're, we're, all, we're, we're making it up as much as the next person. So those would be the two, the two big ones that I, I, I would pick on. I love it that only you could really say that statement, Tim Jones. <laughs> only you could really say that. That's so great. Exactly. It was destined. Uh, Right. Um, okay. So this is, this is, I just have to go to this because this is for those people who are still not convinced the purpose is good. Then you actually throw in some rather really compelling, interesting stats that I think people will find interesting that have to do with the colorful aspects of life. So what are those stats? And so which ones are those you mean, sorry? So I'm talking about, you know, increases sexual pleasure. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Satisfaction, those kind of stats yeah, that yeah. I think people are yeah, listening yeah. for. It's- 
It's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm, I think it's like 32% increase in sexual attraction or something. I think around about that number. Um, you know, and, and I think it's true. Like you, you see like someone who is on purpose, they just have a glow. They have a, there's just like you sense them when they come into the room as yeah. opposed to the mildly depressed person who really hates their job, is not happy in life and is just a bit of a negative Nigel or a negative Nancy. It's like, well, you're not going to really fill that room up. You know, it's like, there's just something magnetic about people who are on purpose. You, you can kind of sense them. The other one is um, th they've done the research and stronger DNA, which leads to stronger cells, which could lead to an extra seven years of life for people who are genuinely connected and on purpose. So again, yeah, check out this science of purpose.org. It, it's overwhelming that there is not, I, I, I can't see how there, how there could even, how there even could be any, evidence to the contrary to suggest you know around purpose it's just it's so obvious when you think yeah. about it yeah i don't want to do this purpose thing i just am not convinced i'm not yeah doing it. yeah yeah i'll just um, sit here and be be angry and resentful and hate my life and do do what other people want me to do yeah yeah i it sounds good right hard, hard to get behind this but okay yeah. on that note let's grab our last break i'm elise cortez your host we were on the air with tim jones aka the grow good guy who specializes in working with individuals and organizations to help them tap into their purpose-fueled performance assisting them in the transition to becoming a force for good we've been talking about the benefits the gifts of purpose after the break, we're going to talk about B Corps and why they're good for business. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I mentioned after the first break about the Grab Your Gusto Wellbeing podcast learning series. The content of this program is adapted from part one of my recently published book called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause, now available on Amazon. And I wrote that book to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all of its stakeholders. So that's why it's out there. That's where the content came from. I am very excited to have it out in the world. If you're just joining us, my guest is Tim Jones. We call him the Grow Good Guy, who specializes in working with individuals and organizations to help them tap into their purpose-fueled performance. He joins us today from Christchurch, New Zealand. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Okay, so for this last bit here, this is where we want to roll up our sleeves and hear more about this whole notion of B Corps and why they're good, why they're important, and some of the work you do to help people get there. So first, you know, what I love about how you describe them just basically is that they're a kind of business that prove they effectively balance purpose and profit. So say more about this whole B Corp business. Yeah, so that's, that's the whole plan behind them. Um, it's probably useful. I, I call it um, in Maori culture here. So Maori is all the indigenous people here before European settlers. Maldi, and, yeah. the, um, you know, and a lot of indigenous cultures have a creation myth story. So how, how do they come about? You know, the sort of Maui, the god who created the land and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, 
B Corp came about from uh, it was the co-founder of a basketball apparel brand called And One, which many listeners will probably know in the US. And Jay, um, he is interesting. He had his kind of existential moment in uh, after the um, 2001 Twin Towers um, event, where his sister almost died. She was luckily pulled out, one of the survivors. But that was the beginning of him kind of going, "Hey, what, what am I doing? Like, what is life all about? Life short." Fast forward to 2006, he's looking to, or 2005, he's looking to sell the business. And I guess for a lot of uh, people listening in the US, in, in New Zealand, when I explain to, to people in New Zealand that, hey, if you're working for a company in the US, you might not actually get a lot of annual leave. You probably don't have a access to, well, you don't have access to government you know, funded healthcare. You might not get any parental leave, certainly not if you're a dad. Um, there's a lot of you know, benefits that we get. Um, perhaps in a New Zealand or Australia or the UK that you don't get so much uh, or readily in, in the US. And what was different about Anne One is that they built a real culture in the business. So they gave employees extra benefits as employees. They let them have time off during work hours to go and um, contribute to their local community. They were working with their supply chain to you know be as good as they could. They were um, looking at their environmental impact. And when it came to selling the business, the Wall Street guys were basically, hey, your business is really unprofitable because you're giving away all this equity. So before we sell it, you need to strip all that stuff back and think about the profits. So having gone through that sale process, he actually got, um, it was Bart Houlihan, who was one of his uh, colleagues at Anne One, and he got Andrew Cassoy, who was one of the Wall Street guys together, and over some whiskeys, because they're, they're quite proof whiskey drinkers, um, they sort of came together and said, look, why don't we why don't we come together and build a new business, and, and this time we'll, we'll keep all this good stuff in it. And then from that, I guess over a few more whiskeys, they thought, well, what if we actually create a movement of businesses that aim to include all stakeholders and not just concentrate on the shareholder primacy, just maximizing the profit and so that was 2006 the idea of b corporation came about and it's there's kind of two two um levels to the name so obviously um you have c corporations in the us is my understanding um so b corporation is better than a c corporation but more so it's about the idea of being a benefit corporation which ties in really nicely with this idea of purpose that i hold of, of like what's your contribution it's like well what benefit does your company bring to the world and and i guess one of the other um taglines that's been used with B Corps over the year is be the best for the world, not best in the world. And so it's really, this again, and it, it links really well to the individual concept of purpose. It's like, how do you shift your, your mindset from, you know, profit maximization, it's all about the money to actually, what good am I doing? And then why is that meaningful for me? So that's kind of B Corps in a, in a snapshot. Mm-hmm. Love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about to help our listeners understand this better, which is interesting, is I know that B Corps, in order to to qualify, you have to have verified higher levels of social and environmental performance, transparency, and accountability. So yep. how does that work? So the whole B Corp certification uh, process looks like this. So you you take an initial self-assessment and the assessment looks at your business across, I call them the five pillars. So you have your governance structure. So who owns your business? Do you have, you know, 50 shell companies with the last one in the in the Bahamas or the British Virgin Islands and no one knows who owns you and you're not paying taxes anywhere? Um, how um, accountable is your business? Um, how transparent is it in terms of financial reporting? Do the staff get to see what's happening with the numbers or is it, you know, closed books that's kind of like your governance stuff um you then you have your workers so how much extra benefits beyond what is state mandated do your do your employees get in terms of holiday leave um entitlements around parental leave um, pr- um opportunity for professional developments uh, in their role um so on and so forth 
then you have your uh, community pillar, which is basically how do you interact with the local community? Are you providing opportunities for uh, employment within your community? Are your corporate offices situated within a certain distance of the communities that you serve and sell into? Um, There's questions around diversity and inclusivity on the community aspects as well. Like what's the representation of your uh, company in terms of ethnic diversity and and, uh, diversity of uh, gender? Uh, then you've got your environment pillar, which looks at your essentially your carbon footprint, your water usage and your energy usage. Um, I'll talk about that a bit in a minute. Um, and then you have your customers. So um, I guess, you know, do you have customer, um, uh, you know, complaint procedures in place? Uh, do, what d- uh, data do you hold on your clients um, that you tell them that you're holding all that kind of GDPR stuff? And, and this is what I really, really like about it, because in New Zealand at the minute, there's a big push from a lot of large corporates to go all in on being carbon zero. And look, that's cool. You, you know, you're addressing some of the issues that you're having. You haven't fundamentally got to the fact that your product that you're selling maybe not actually be needed and that's still creating carbon. Although it's been offset, it's not, you know, you're still making the carbon. But at the same time, um, some of these companies are laying off lots of staff um, and are doing, you know, and, and so that's why I think B Corp, it, it's, I kind of call it like the Google of certifications because it, it's all encompassing. You know, you, you have to be doing well socially and environmentally and, and you have to meet the minimum threshold of, a score of 80 out of 200 points for you to um, be eligible for the certification. So you do an initial self-assessment. Um, once you're, you're confident you've got um, over 80 points, you click submit and then you get into a queue to have a basically an audit call with one of the team from B Lab, which is the non-profit organization that runs the certification program. Um, yeah, they then audit it and see whether you've actually met the criteria. That's awesome. What I appreciate about it, Tim, among many other things, is I appreciate, you know, if you don't reach to be better as, a, as an individual, as a human being, as a, as a leader, as a company, you're not going to get there. So what I really appreciate yeah. about B Corp is you're reaching to get better. And I really, yeah. really applaud that. And then, of course, I appreciate the idea of a movement. So I want to talk numbers. Yeah. Um, I think you say yeah. that there are, what, 4,000 B Corps in 71 countries? Do I have that right? Yep, we literally uh, maybe like two or three weeks ago tipped over the four thousand point. Um, so four thousand businesses, which you know, it's 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 still a relatively small number globally, but um, there's some really big hitters. Um, you know, Patagonia is possibly the most well known globally. Uh, ben and Jerry's is a B Corp. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think U.S. specific. Uh, Natura, which is a South American uh, based massive company, like billions and billions of dollars, they own the Body Shop. Um, they are a B Corp. Um, they're kind of getting into, and this is what's really cool is it's like pretty much any industry, any geography, any location, any size, like I'm a B Corp and it's me. Like this is me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I am the business. Um, Patagonia employs, I imagine hundreds, if not thousands of employees, they're a B Corp. It's, it's not about what you do and how you do it so much. It's about your mindset and exactly what you said, like the, the intent of wanting to be better. And that's, what's really cool about the assessment. Cause when I consult with people and help them go through, the, I, I kind of like help people take the exam. It's basically part of what, one of the things I do. Um, <laughs> It's like year one, just get to 80 because even getting to 80, you're outperforming the market because most businesses that take the assessment for the first time will score between 40 and 50 points. So to even get to 80, you're doing kind of exponentially better than the market or your or your peers. Um, then you can use the assessment tool. There's um, there's some little tips and tricks with the with the actual tool that you can use to set to use it as an impact guide to say right we've got to recertify in three years. Where and how are we going to be better in three years time? What are we going to focus on to raise our game? In which of the pillars and how are we going to do it? And it's a really useful engagement tool for businesses. 
because if you get your typically what the way i work with people is we say right we'll, we'll nominate one person in the company as queen or king b so they are the person who kind of owns the b corp assessment and is the guardian for it and, and they go and make sure that all the information that they require is got but then you have a team of beekeepers who represent each of the pillars and depending on the size of the company you might have one to five you know for for a really large company and it's their job to keep that enthusiasm and connection and and bring the strategy to life in terms of hey yeah oh well we've just thought about, we've thought about this new program how do we actually include some of the b corp ideals in this program so that in three years time we can show that we've actually met a higher standard under our community so it's a really cool tool of baking in sort of purpose um, and the ideas of the B Corp on an operational level and getting that team engagement if you do it well. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, well, let's talk ROI. So I'm sure people are listening to this going, it sounds like a lot of work. How much How much do we have to invest here and what's in it for me? So what's yep. the ROI of this stuff? So um, I guess the cost of it initially, uh, it's all based on your revenue as an organization. So the bigger you are, the more money you're making, the more you pay on a certification fee. And it's on a sliding scale with pretty regular boundaries. So check out the B Corporation. Uh, it's bcorporation.net in the US. If you're on this side of the planet, it's bcorporation.com.au. But if you search B Corp, you'll, you'll find it. In terms of the ROI, this is this is a really cool thing. If you just care about making more money, if you're if you're being pretty cynical about this kind of do good purpose movement, and but you've been vaguely convinced, well, maybe my staff might be happier and they'll work harder because they're more resilient and more engaged. Maybe we should do this. Well, in terms of B Corp, there's sort of two major, um, I guess. Uh, papers or studies that I've seen. One of them was from the UK uh, in a publication called The Grocer. And they looked at um, retail B corporations. So uh, organizations that had a storefront essentially in the UK. And uh, what they found in in the year that they surveyed this was that essentially B Corps grew 28 times faster than UK GDP over a 12 month period. So um, yeah, the, the uh, and they also found that they'd attracted more staff and more customers. So 35% of them said they'd attracted new customers and 48% of them said that they'd attracted better staff specifically because they were a B Corp. So, you know, particularly in a COVID world where talent can't fly around the world so readily, you know, talent retention and talent attraction is a really, really big thing. And then there's a study from um, uh, the University of Ghent, where they did like a, a basically a, a data set of, of financial data of European B Corps between 2012 and 2018 and empirically showed the B Corp certification positively impacts the turnover rate one year pre versus one year post. So if you just care about making money, you should be a B Corp. If you're actually vaguely concerned about saving the planet or humanity, then you should definitely do it. So it's like, this is what I love about it. It's like whichever way you're coming to this, whether it's from the sort of the personal perspective you're looking for, you know, talent, investment, you're looking for customers, you should do it. But if you just want to make more money, you should do it. I'm convinced. I actually have been looking down this Excellent. path for a while now. I mean, you've got one, you've got totally one convert here. No, no, I actually Excellent. wrote about this yeah. also in my chapter nine of my book in Purpose Ignited. It's about conscious capitalism. I talk about big yep. corpse and I mentioned just capital. Many of the other ones that are out there to really contribute to this movement that I certainly believe in. Yep. So, um, well, here we are, Tim. We managed to, to get, get through pretty much the whole end of the show. We've come to the end of it. Uh, I want to give you a chance to close. You know this this show is listening to people by across all over the world, and they really come to be able to try to create a workplace where people actually want to come. We create inspirational leaders that bring out their best, and we do business that betters the world. What shall we leave the listeners with? Well, that's a tough one. Where does, just start. 
you know, um, I've just been working with a cohort of businesses here. So 43 businesses being sponsored by one of our government departments here to help them go through the process. And the one thing that they were all scared about was, was starting the journey. It's, it's, we're not good enough. We're not there yet. And no, no one's there yet. You know, Dr. Elise Cortez is going to become a more purposeful human throughout the rest of your journey. I'm going to, you know, we, you're all going to be getting to a higher level of purpose. So if, if you don't start today, I think it's Warren Miller, the Warren Miller ski films. If you don't do it today, you'll be one day older when you do do it. It's like, if, if you're not, if you haven't started the journey, just start because you, you'll be, you'll be so much better and so much happier for doing it. Yeah, and it's worth it's worth the journey to, to, as we say, step on that path to try to get better. It's always good to aspire exactly to be that. better. So that's why, uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. Exactly that. There's meaning. There's meaning in purpose in you just being better. Exactly. Exactly. We've already elevated ourselves. So, yeah. uh, Tim, I'm so grateful to have you on the show. I'm thankful that you're in the community. I think you're in the in the Global Purpose Leaders community yep. as well, which is how we got connected. Thanks yep. to Brandon Peel, Holly Woods, and a few others who've been on the show before us, Susan Lucci. Via Bocalandro. I mean, just you guys are just rock stars. And so we're out, we are out trying to make the world a better place. So I am thrilled that you joined us. Thank you, Tim, for coming on. Thanks for having me. And it feels, I feel like a massive imposter when you reel off some of those names. Well, <laughs> Yourself we're included. In, we're all in this together, darling. Um, yeah. Listeners and viewers, I know you want to learn more about this man and the work that he's doing. The best way to find him is to go to growgood.co, growgood.co. And thanks again to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback and thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the, the live show, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Charles Antis, the founder and CEO of Antis Roofing and Waterproofing, talking about how purpose and philanthropy have become essential in today's business world. Next week, we'll be on the air with Ken Banks, technologist, anthropologist, and head of social purpose at Yodi, talking about his extraordinary life of purpose, creating technology to serve nonprofits in developing countries, among other adventures. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.